morning, good morning, and a very happy uh, Easter to you all. Thanks for coming. This has been fun, and uh, I hope that you're going to enjoy the rest of your Easter celebration. My name's Jose, and I'm one of the leaders, and we are stepping in to what has been celebrated for 2,000 years now. Sometimes we just forget that it's not just a little holiday, and it's not just an excuse for a sale and a chance to wear open-toed shoes. It's, it's bigger than that. What, what happened, what we're celebrating goes back 2,000 years, and people have gathered just like this, mostly in more rural and more simple settings on Easter Sunday morning to remember what God has done and to think about that, what that means for our lives today. Uh, we're stepping in. We worship because people have been singing songs about the resurrection. And then we read scripture because early on, after Jesus' life and death and resurrection, the narratives began. People who saw him, walked with him, began to write down what Jesus taught and said. So you're a part of something big here this morning. And what we have been doing, if you're new, welcome. What we've been doing is over the last few months and over the next few months, we'll continue looking at one part of the Bible called Romans. It's a letter. It's a letter that was written just 20, 30 years after the life of Jesus. And it was written to people just like you and me, a church just like us. People who had never met Jesus face to face, but they were thinking about what it means to live out this belief in Jesus in a very pluralistic, very multicultural environment, just like Rome. Rome was the center of the empire. And just like the Port Portland and the Northwest, there's so much about our culture. How do we live out our faith in Jesus in light of the diverse multi-ethnic city that we live in? So what we've been doing is going really slow in Romans and not, not like rushing to think through what it means for us to embrace Jesus as we live in our city. And it's been real slow. And so today what we're going to do is because Easter, we're going to really slow down. And we're just going to look at 25 words, one sentence. Okay, that, that, that's it. You can handle that. You'll, you'll, you'll make it. So I just thought we would, and this is where we picked up uh, last week, where we left off last week. Let's just look at Romans 8, 28. We'll put it on the screen for you. And why don't we just try this? Um, it's short, and let's just read it together, right? That'd be cool. All right, one, two, three. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's funny. Some people drag, some people speed up. It's awesome. I'm just hearing it all from here. Well, it's so short. Let's just, this is what we want to think about this morning. In light of Easter, what does this mean for your world? Let's just do it one more time, a little louder. One, two, three. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, if you're new to the scriptures, they are filled with promises. God, over thousands of years, spoke with people and promised very real things. Now, if you're new, this is one of the most famous of those promises. You probably have heard it, especially when you hit a tough spot. Don't worry, all things are going to work out for the good. God's there. So people paraphrase it. But I want us to look this morning at the power behind it. And this is why reading scripture is so helpful. If you're, if you're not into that, I would encourage you. If you've ever wondered what God is like, he's given us thousands of years, not hundreds, 
thousands of years of people interacting with God in their own way, learning from him, like going against him and the repercussions of that, joining him, aligning themselves with him. And so you get thousands of years. Some of it is hard to understand because it's about people who lived centuries ago. But what we get leads up to this, I think, big promise that can change your Easter and can change your tomorrow. And I'm not exaggerating. It could change the rest of your life if you'll lay hold of what God is saying here. Now, in order to understand these 25 words, I want us to think of four things I think that we need to keep in view if we're going to rightly understand it and live it out. Four things that can make a difference this Easter. If you want to write them down, great. Number one, God is relational. God's relational. Notice again what it says. In all things, God works. God is, he's active. Now, have you ever read the Bible? Where do I get this? If you've read the whole thing, I'm surprised at how many people that I've met who have gone to church 10, 20, 30 years who've not read the entire thing. And that's not a guilt trip, but I'm saying like you're missing something because sometimes if you only read one part of God's long story, it's easy to misunderstand what God is like. You, got, you ever try reading a book and just select a few chapters? You could miss the whole point, the whole plot line. You could actually go against with what the author is doing. So here as a church, we read the whole Bible, although it takes time, because we want to see what God is like. If you are new, this is just a side note, because I get it. Sometimes the first parts of the Bible, wow, really hard to understand. There is a group out of Portland, it's like local, called The Bible Project, thebibleproject.com. Free, a website with short four to seven minute videos that are so well put together that outline every, all 66 books of the Bible, the major themes of the Bible. If you're new to it, those short videos, I encourage you, watch the seven minutes and then read and then watch it again. You'll find it, it actually makes more sense. Anyway, when we read the whole Bible, assuming you have, I think we see a few things about God. The first is kind of obvious, but as we're saying, God's here. Some people say, like, I don't know if there's a God. How come he doesn't make himself known? You read the scriptures, you see that God is not far off. He's meeting with real people over time. God's not living out there. The story of the Bible is the God who's very much here, although we're not always aware of it. And that's the nuance. We don't always get it. But God is not there. God is working here. And God is active. God, God isn't sitting around just watching the whole thing play out. God is active in his world. And when people call on him and invite him into their life and story, everything begins to change because God is here and God is active. And and this is a big picture, but it's important. God is good. When you read the whole Bible, now, if you read a few sections, you say, wow, God's like tough. Like, wow, God does stuff I would never do. That's mean. All I would say is read the whole thing. You see, when I say God is good, it doesn't mean he's weak. In other words, when there are people out to inflict evil, on others, there are times that God steps in and stops them. By the way, that's called good. And so God's not weak. 
and he's not out there. He's not a mean boss or an evil dictator. God is relational. And, and you say, well, how can I really know that? Well, just look at the life of Jesus. Okay, there are four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you've never read the whole Bible, just read those. Four different views on the same person, just like if you had any person and four different people wrote a book, it would look slightly different. And in it, you're going to see the same thing, although from different angles. Jesus is all about relationship. Where does Jesus spend his time? Just read the Bible. He's not holed up in some building waiting for people to come to him. Jesus goes to people's houses. Talk about nerve-wracking. Like, you know, Jesus walks in. Jesus is in the marketplace. Jesus does not just have time for the rich and the powerful and the affluent. He's there with the weakest. He spends time with those who are social outcasts that everyone else avoids. He's with the poor. Jesus is with people who feel like they don't have a right to be close to God. And this is, my friend, the, for we know that all things work together for the good, for those that love God. That promise is built on the fact that God is actively seeking to join in your story and to bring you to where he wants you to be. Now, why did Jesus come? This might seem obvious, but maybe it's not. Jesus didn't come just to teach a new way or to show us how to live. Jesus came to fix and mend the relationship that God wants to have with us, but that's been broken down. How do I know this? Jesus said himself, super quoted Bible passage. We'll put it on the screen. John 3, 16. God, this is Jesus speaking about himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I want you to catch that phrase. Not condemn the world, but to save it. To rescue it. I'm going to use another term. To restart it. When, when something is broken down, most of us were addicted to technology. And I don't care how good your computer or your phone or your tablet is. There are times where it just gets stuck. That ever happened to you? The worst time possible. You're looking, you're pressing the app, and it's just stuck. Well, what, what do you do ultimately other than throw it on the ground and get a new one, which would be foolish and expensive? You usually turn it off. Sometimes you have to like do a hard reset where you hit the two buttons. And what does it do? It goes back to the original setting, right? When I think about Jesus and what it means for him to save the world through him, it's that we were designed and created to interact with God in real natural ways. But something has happened and it's thrown us off. And Jesus wants to really reset my life. Not metaphorically press buttons, but somehow get into the deepest part of who I am and rewire me to be the way I was supposed to be. I'm supposed to know God. Do you know that when you're thinking about your life and where you're headed and where you've been and, and how to change, God is the one who wants to provide that. He's relational. If he made us and he knows us, he knows what's best. He knows what's dangerous. He knows what's healthy. He knows what's only going to be harmful. And so God in his love is trying to bring his goodness to us. And for some crazy reason, I don't know why, we resist him. 
or most often we just ignore him. Now, picking up on that statement of Jesus, that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, look at what Paul says earlier in this letter. We're looking at Romans 8, 28, 25 words, but I'm giving you the reason why we should believe it. Earlier in the letter, he says this, Romans 1, 16. For Paul saying, the author of the letter, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news that God loved the world so much that he sent his one Je son Jesus. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes it. What Paul experienced is what I hope every one of you experiences. There was a time in his life he was vehemently opposed to Jesus. I mean, to the extreme, to the point where he is having people arrested and beaten because they're teaching a false message and a false religion because they follow this person called Jesus and claim that he was alive. But then in a moment, as he's going to one town, Paul himself encounters the risen Jesus. It blows his mind. It takes him three days to figure it out. And then his eyes are opened. Then for the rest of his life, he realizes this Jesus that I was pushing away and talking down, he in fact is the risen Savior. And so he says, I'm not ashamed. Why? It has power to change. And if God can turn around someone who is to the point of sentencing people to beatings and death because of their faith in Jesus to become a spokesperson, what could God do in your world? I want us to think about how God works for the good. All right, so God's relational, and he's wired us to know him. And, and for some reason, we've gone our own way. Let's read the verse again and pick out the second thought. Romans 8, 28. You still there? Great. The donuts beforehand really help. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to to his purpose. Now, when you read it quickly, you could get a false impression and think it's all going to work out in the end and, and it's, it's fine for everyone. But look a little closer. God works for the good of those who what? Love him. See, that's the disclaimer. God is relational, but for those who love him implies, this is just logic, there are those who don't love him. And done in a negative, God is not in all things, working for the good for those who don't love him. In other words, my response to God hinges the promise. What am I saying? Second thought I want you to write down. We are rebellious. Let's, let's be honest. I was going to use the word, but this sounded more politically correct. I was going to write, we are crazy. Which is like, is more real. But I figured it's Easter and most of us haven't met. So let's be nice. Come back next week. Gloves off. No. Um, we're rebellious. We're, we're rebellious. God's relational. God's Read the story. God is trying to get our attention, come in with love and heal things and fix things and rewire things and make things the way he intended. And there's good in us. I'm not saying that by, by saying you're rebellious and I'm rebellious that there isn't any good. We do all sorts of good things, but it's tainted. Let's be honest. Who in this room has it all together? Like all of it. Yeah, I mean, that, that we, don't, we don't even play with that one. We know we don't have it all together. So let me just put it this way. There, there's good. 
And so if I would give you a good, refreshing, cold glass of water and drop in just a few drops of poison, would you still drink it? Now, I hope not, but it's only a few drops. Most of it's good. The problem with it is when you taint something, even though it's a little bit to scale, it affects everything. And in the same way, my friends, our rebellion, our are ignoring God. I think our biggest form of rebellion is simply to say, God, I'm not sure you're there. Which is pretty pompous given our short span of life. God, you're not there. And so our rebellion takes all sorts of forms. Instead of recognizing and honoring God, we, we just do our own thing. Now, what, is, what does the Bible say about that? Romans 1 Paul had just said, I'm not ashamed of this good news. Then he says, for although they knew God, Romans 1, 21, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And this is what he says, like when you put the few drops in. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. By the way, pause. Glory here means presence. So let's put it this way. They exchange the presence of the immortal God for the presence of images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Uh, let me put it in English for us. Instead of putting our eyes on God and his presence and inviting him, we put our eyes on things smaller than God. And I don't know what your story is. I, I could tell you a bit of my story if I had time. Uh, although I do love God, there is rebellion in me. And so, so rebellion takes on all sorts of forms. Now, it, it goes in big forms, things that really make it on social media. I have two words for you, and you're going to know the rest of the story. United Airlines. <laughs> I don't need to say more. Our rebellion usually shows up most in the way we treat other people. So you could be rebellious, but in a sense, well, I'm, I'm not hurting anyone else. Well, to ignore God ultimately leads to a warped sense of how we treat one another. So, yeah, there's big things where people don't treat people with respect and love and care, and they're maybe hurtful or abusive. You see it on the big scale. North Korea right now. A few people being rebellious, I would suggest, ignoring God, and there are millions starving and suffering and tension around the world. Syria and, and civil war and all that's going on and chemical weapons and who's doing the right thing and, and everyone with an opinion and the world is a mess on a big scale. I, I say that because we know those. The challenge is it's easy to point the finger and say there's rebellion, there's rebellion. But let me ask you, what do we do with our own stuff? What about our own rebellion. And now, let me just ask some pointed questions. This week, did you prioritize your time with God in view? If God is the creator and he wants to know us, and why just, did you factor God into the choices in everyday life? Did you ask God, what do you want this week? Or did you just assume it's up to you to choose everything? What about resources? You came in with nil, nada, nothing. You'll leave the world with nothing. And in the middle, God gives us all of these things. 
how have you used them? Have you honored God? Have you said, God, thank you for this. What is it that I can do to help someone else? Thank you for giving enough for me. How have we viewed resources? That may not seem like a big deal, but it's a sign of rebellion when I think I own my life, my time, my money, my relationships. It's all me and mine. And who are you, Jose, to tell me what to do with me? It's only a sign that something's gone wrong. Because God never made us for us. He made us for him. And when this Easter you get it right and you realign your heart with God's heart and your life with God's life, you're going to see that Jesus makes a big difference. Rebellion shows up in the life and times of Jesus. You want to see comedy? Jesus is giving his life away. He leaves his earth with nothing because he gave everything away. Jesus is loving people, healing people, including people, teaching people, caring for people. And the very people that he came to help are trying to kill him. It's a sign of rebellion. In the end, you want to talk about a tragic comedy? And I don't say that loosely. Think of this. Jesus is the power of life and death. And he allows people to mock him rip his beard, beat his back, punch his face, put a crown of thorns on his head, whip his back to the point of death, make him carry his own cross, and he cannot take it anymore, and someone has to take it the rest of the way, and he doesn't strike back. You see, God's attitude towards our rebellion is different than my, if you're rebellious towards me, I'll just have no more of you. But God in his love cares about us so much that he knows we're rebellious and he's still working things for the good of those who respond to his love. So Jesus says on the cross, these words make no sense. Luke 23, 34. Jesus said to the people killing him, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're, they're doing. Did they know what they were doing? You bet they did. This is their job. But he's saying in the big picture, their rebellion, they don't get the big story. They don't know the Father's love. They don't know that the Father is out for a relationship. And he's willing to deal with us even in our rebellion. So what do we do? In light of Easter, number three, the third thing that we need to think of in, th in thinking through the promise of Romans 8.28 is Jesus is the answer. So, yes, God is about relationship. And we're the ones who are rebellious. But what you see in the Bible is the importance of Jesus. This is where, was it like, you believe in Jesus, but I don't know. I think there are lots of ways. Well, just read the scripture and you're going to find that Jesus is the center of everything. He's the focus of the entire story. Everything before the coming of Jesus is leading up and showing us pictures that Jesus and promises that Jesus is going to fulfill. And then you have four biographies where we see the life and the teaching and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And everything after is pointing back to in light of his coming, in the light of his coming again, what do we do with our lives? Jesus is the center of the entire story. And here's the basic plot. We need to be rescued. We need it. Like now. And God knows it. And so he sends his son on a rescue mission. That's love. Romans 5, 8, we, we read this weeks ago. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see what's going on? 
we're rebellious, we need rescue, but God is already working to bring us back. Now, in light of our rebellion, but God's unrelenting pursuit, where do we go? Well, we read a few weeks ago, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, I'm just giving you everything leading up to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, that promise is about a God is relational and our rebellion and Jesus being the answer that's going to really change things. And so I need you to know that there are two paths. There are two paths in Romans 8.28 that promise leads in two directions. And I'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus, as we see in Romans 6.23, shows us alternatives. The pathway of rebellion is death. No, it's death. It's the absence of God. Do you want to live this life without God's guidance and direction? Go ahead. What you get is what you get. And in the end, here's the scarier story. Although God created us to be with him and our sin has kept us from him, if we don't deal with our rebellion now, what happens now keeps happening. And so life apart from God is horrific. Life after this life apart from God is even more frightening. And I don't want to get into that because today's Easter. But you just need to know there's a pathway. But the alternatives, wages, sin, death, but... Gift, God, life. The gift of God is real life. Where does it come from? Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus came to bring us back, and that's what Good Friday is about. The way to deal with sin is that it must be paid for in full. Our rebellion costs. In order to get us back, we need to deal with our heart. And Jesus deals with it once for all. Because he's perfect and he's done no wrong, he can stand in my place and he can pay my debt and that's Good Friday. So Jesus isn't just being physically beaten and tortured. He's carrying the weight of my rebellion and yours. Why? Because God's relational, hear me, God's love is so big, he's willing to give you his best. God loves you enough to give himself. So on the cross, the Son of God takes the weight of our rebellion. Now, if that's a fact, that won't help you. That fact alone won't change anything. To make Romans 8.28 a promise that you can hold on to, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, we need to see that this is nuanced. Number four, write it down. Responding to Jesus is where life begins. So, hear this. Romans 8.28 is not a promise for everybody. It's not like blind optimism where in the end, God will work things for the right because He's loving and kind and benevolent and it doesn't make a difference what you do or where you go. He's going to sort it out in the end because He's that kind of chipper, cheery God. That's not what this says. It says there are two Pathways. Let's just read Romans 8, 28 again. 25 words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Now that, that's looking at what Paul does. It says the same thing twice. God works always. All things are working towards good for those who love him. That's our perspective. From our perspective, that's our response. Those who respond to God's love 
are those who love him. Jesus said in John 15, if you love me, you'll obey my teachings. If you really love me, you'll live in relationship with me and I will guide you. Those who really walk after him and follow him can hold on to this no matter what life brings you. The other is from God's perspective. Those who have been called according to his purpose. Those who respond to his love are the ones that link up with God and are connected to his purpose in the world. And God promises, hear this, I don't promise, this church doesn't promise, God himself promises, if you respond to his love, that's why responding to Jesus is where life begins, if you respond to his love, then I can guarantee you that in all things, although all things are not good, and life is hard, in all things, God will work for your good. My friends, that is the that's their ongoing hope of Easter. The resurrection is not just about an event. Jesus rose again. Woohoo, started a new religion. That's not the point. It's no, because Jesus is full of life. Death no longer has a grip on anyone who's connected to Jesus. And so if I am connected to Jesus, I'm connected to life itself. And if I have life, no matter how hard this world is and my experience can be, I know I am connected to life. And if I follow Jesus, in the end, I get him and will enjoy him forever. Now, disclaimer, following Jesus does not promise you a pain-free life. As a matter of fact, if you read through Romans, what we're learning is he writes the letter because they're really suffering harshly because they follow this Jesus and the culture around them is starting to come against them just like they came against Jesus. And he's going to say, if we continue to read the letter, hold on. If you have life, this experience may be tough. Uh, pain, suffering, evil, it happens. Tragedies come, tough times hit everyone. Sickness hits everyone. Breakups happen. And following Jesus does not guarantee you that you're not going to go through that as well. But here is the fundamental difference. And this is why I think Easter is so powerful and following Jesus is the better way. It's because in my suffering, in my tragedy, in my loss, in my pain, I am not alone. And it's never wasted. God is working behind the scenes and obviously in some ways that I can see. And he is working for good. He's bringing me closer and closer to life that is truly life that never ends. And so, yes, we have rough, rough patches, but I'm standing with Jesus in them. And he's alive, and he will get me through, and he will get you through. And that is not a promise for everybody, although it's a promise offered to everybody. And that's the difference. This morning, some of you are here, you just want to worship, you just want to enjoy this holiday because you believe that this is absolutely true and it's changing you from the inside out. For others, you're just not so sure. Some today, you're hearing this and it's starting, like the connections are starting to be made. You're realizing, wow, God's like for me, not against me. And if I respond to his love, all things, God can work towards my good. Following Jesus won't keep you from everything, though. Uh, we are a church that meets on the weekends. Glad you're here. But we also meet in smaller communities. We call them 26 West communities. And we meet in houses and coffee shops and businesses. 
And it's informal, and you're invited to any one of them. There's more than 40. And they meet almost every day of the week. And you can be a part of a group of people who are just doing life together and praying for one another, eating, talking about raising kids and relationships, ups and downs. And our group uh, met for brunch, not yesterday, but a, a week ago on Saturday. And it was great. It was one of our better, like, fun times. And, and then a couple of hours later, we get a text from uh, Dart and Kelly. And Dartanian, we call him Dart, uh, he lost his grandfather in a, in a tragic car accident. Like, hours after we were together. And, you know, sometimes life is going one direction. And this was great. And then your face is hit with tragedy. And that, that's not every day, but that's real, isn't it? And I think most of us can relate to sometimes life's just taking a right turn and you don't know how you got here. Look, you're not alone because God's for you. But, but they, their grandfather, they call him Opa, he, uh, he responded to Jesus' love at a young age. And he lived his life in the rhythm of Jesus. Not a perfect guy, of course, but, but he's a follower of Jesus. And so, so Dart went to the funeral. And yes, there's sadness, but not because Opa is with Jesus and he's more alive than you are. And to me, that's the hope. So he, he, uh, he sent us a text, a group text, after the funeral. And he, he, he let me write, uh, read this to you. But I said, is it all right? He's like, yeah. He said, my Opa's funeral was yesterday. It was a tough day, but a beautiful, this is so good. I get choked up a lot, so don't worry. But a beautiful reminder that in Jesus we all have the hope of the resurrection. Catch that. In Jesus, we have the hope. And that Jesus is working to reconcile all things to himself. So let me, let me just recap. Romans 8.28 is about the promise of a relational God who knows our rebellion, who sent us a solution in his own son, Jesus. So Jesus dies the death I deserve and he rises again. And now he says, gift grace, life. It's yours if you receive it. And Opa fortunately was wise enough to respond to Jesus when he was alive. And so now you're left with a choice and a decision. When it comes to God, and let's just say he's right here, right? Where are you in proximity? Are you as close as you want to be? Are you learning, growing? Are you drifting further into the background? Where are you in relationship to the God that loves you? Easter is the invitation to say, you're invited. He's alive and he's appearing to people. He's showing himself. He's showing himself to be true and, and we want that for you. So what we're going to do is take the rest of our time and we're, we're, we're going to respond. We're going to make choices because your choices matter. And to reject God's love leads you in places that you probably don't want to be. But to receive God's love, Jesus never pushed away ever, ever, ever anyone who humbly said, I need you. And so you could be the most rebellious, obstinate person. You're invited. You could be the nicest, most caring, religious person who's actually out of sync with Jesus. You're invited too. Jesus is calling you close. And so I think the best response is to say to Jesus, I want you and I need you. And that's going to take some courage. Some of you, it's going to mean a whole new way of living, a total 180. Some, you're not even, you're not even, you're 
99 following this Jesus, and it's going to be a decision you need to make to say, you know what, I'm going to go his way and receive his life. For others, and just maybe these patterns that are in your life that are keeping you from a thriving relationship, and it's going to be about asking God to help you work through those, confess them, and ask for his power to change. I don't know, but I think everyone can respond. So why don't we do that together? Why don't we stand on our feet? And we're going to sing, and then we're going to go to the table, the bread and the cup. But as we, um, as we stand, before we get into the singing, because singing could actually be helpful, or it could just get you off on another thing. In this moment where we're all together, we've heard the Easter promise that for those who follow Jesus, God works in all things for the good of those who are in love with Him and receiving and interchanging with His love. That's a promise. Can I just ask you, where are you? And if you feel like you're not where you should be, will you be courageous enough this morning to say to God, and He'll guide you, say, God, I need you, I need you. We're going to pray before we sing, and I'm going to invite you to close your eyes because this is where no one else matters other than you in the presence of the living Jesus. And so, so as to not be distractive, don't look around. Where are you in Jesus? If you want to start and receive His grace, receive His mercy, receive His love, receive His forgiveness, and begin this new life, you can right now. If you say, Jesus, I need you, He'll come. He'll do the forgiving, the changing, the loving, the caring, the guiding. He'll do that. Invite Him now. If you're a Jesus follower, but you find that you're sliding away from His presence, from His teaching, then just come back, come back. And in this moment, say to Jesus what He already knows, I need you again. Create in me a new heart. Forgive me, change me, whatever it is. I just want to give you a second to respond in the way that's appropriate. Before we sing, um, I think that being honest is important. So I'm going to give you a chance to be honest with God and with this community here. And I'm not going to put you in the spot, I promise you. But I want to know, is there anyone here who would say, you know what, I'm in out of sync with Jesus, but today I'm coming back. I'm going to go His way. I'm going to receive His love. I'm going to follow Him. Or maybe even for the first time say, you know what, I haven't been following, but today I'm going to begin this lifelong journey following Jesus, and I want to get kick-started on Easter Sunday, and I'm ready. If that's you here this morning, no one's here to judge, but we want to know who you are. So before God and this community, although no one's looking around, on the count of three, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to invite you as a statement of faith to raise up your hand and put it down, saying, that Jesus, I want to follow you today. I want to do it together on the count of three so no one's put on the spot. If that's you, you need to begin our life a new relationship with Jesus. You need to reconnect with His life-giving power. If that's you, one, this is a gift. It's from God to you. You don't deserve it. You don't get it by coming to church, being good. It's a gift. It's grace. Two, this gift is in Jesus. He did all the heavy lifting. He did the rescuing. And now He wants to offer you His life if you choose to follow Him. And if you want to take that step, one, two, three. Just raise up your hand real quick put it down. Cool, cool, cool. 
Anyone else? Cool. Yep, you can put it down. You can put it down over there. Anyone else? Awesome. Yeah. Now, hear me clearly, friend. Raising your hand does not save you. But if in your heart you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you come to him with your baggage and you give it to him in exchange for grace and mercy and forgiveness and healing, then you are truly a new person in him. So I want to pray for you. Lord, I want to pray for those who just are saying this morning they want to connect or reconnect with you. And I ask you, Holy Spirit of God, to begin to guide them in the way that they would go. Show them the areas of weaknesses that need your power. Lord, take them out of spots that are just not healthy and life-giving. Be their good, 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 good Father, I pray 